Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your Bibles in hand and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're in the first chapter. We started verse-by-verse study through Luke's Gospel last Sunday by looking at the first four verses, which is the prologue. And today we get into the meat of Luke's historical account of uh, what happened in and around the time of birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a much larger section today, verses 5 through 25, and I want to read all of those verses. Beginning in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God, in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until that day when these things shall take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. May the Lord add his blessing the reading and hearing of his word. There's one thing that we say almost every Sunday, and that is this. God is sovereign, right? But the way that he manifests his sovereignty the way that he brings about his divine will often is through the instruments of men and women. It's of people who he uses and calls specifically, just as you heard Paul say that his parents were called to New Guinea and he and his wife were called to Indonesia. He is still calling out people today to be used for 
his glory. Now this was the case with this humble couple, Zechariah, a priest of the Lord, and his dear wife, Elizabeth. But before introducing us to those characters, first he tells us of the historical context. After all, Luke was a very good historian. And so he lets us know that these things happened in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now Herod was one of several Herods in the world at that time. Herod was uh, a common name among those kings. They passed it down from one generation to the next. This is the Herod the Great that you've heard so much about. His father was a close friend and ally of none other than Julius Caesar. That's always a good way to start your career, being an ally and a close friend to the Emperor of Rome. And so he gave this part of the world as a gift for his loyalty and allowed him to be the governor there. And Herod the Great inherited that title from his father. And then ultimately, because of his loyalty to Rome, the Roman Senate named him king over all of Judea. Now there's uh, mixed reports about the popularity of King Herod. He did some very good things. He was shrewd politically. One of the first things that he did was to marry a very popular and famous Jewish woman. And that ingratiated him to the people because he was not Jewish himself. He was a descendant of Esau, an Edomite or an Edomian, they would say. On Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of Genesis in this room. And lately we've been studying chapters 27 and chapter 28. And you might recall that those two chapters are the story of how Jacob swindled the birthright and the blessing away from his brother Esau. Well, Esau never forgot it. And the Edomites were a thorn in the side of the Jewish people for hundreds of years to follow. And so Herod the Great was a descendant of Esau. Now he, he did some good things. He built roads and bridges and aquifers and really made it uh, possible for life to be somewhat more comfortable in that part of the world. But he had some bad qualities as well. Namely, he was a maniac. <laughs> he, he was a person who uh, was so paranoid about keeping his title and his wealth that he was suspicious of everyone in his life, including his own family members, to the point that he murdered his own wife and several of his own children. He, of course, is the Herod the Great who ordered the babies two years and younger in and around Bethlehem to be killed when he heard that the Messiah had been born. And so he was certainly a very evil man. Now you put him now in juxtaposition with our hero today, Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest and not a king, but he was a man, the scripture said, who was righteous in the sight and in the eyes of God. He was of that priestly order of Aaron, the brother of Moses. You recall in the Old Testament that God established this priestly line through Aaron. And he came from that. In fact, later that line was divided into 24 other divisions, one of which he was part of, the division of Abijah. And so Abijah uh, was one of the forerunners, and he was from that class. Well, Scripture says also that he was married to a woman who also came from that Aaronic class. And so we can say that uh, Elizabeth likely was a PK. She was a priest kid. I was a PK growing up, a preacher's kid. My kids are preacher's kids. And you know what they say about preacher's kids? Don't let them play with the deacon's kids, right? <laughs> but uh, she was, and so they understood one another. Uh, she, they understood that background. Apparently they were very, very well together. 
It might surprise you to know that there were approximately 20,000 priests in Israel during that day. There were so many that they didn't need all of them to be full-time all the time in Jerusalem. And so they rotated. And so two weeks a year, one week at a time, every six months, they would report for duty there at the temple. But even then, it was very rare for them to really get to do something very important like burning the incense offering. Uh, the incense offering was made in the morning and the evening every day. And it represented the people's prayers to God. And so what would happen is one of the priests would go into the holy place, which as you know was separated from the Holy of Holies by a curtain, a veil. And remember then the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And only on the Day of Atonement, once a year, could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood upon um, that Ark of the Covenant. And so this was a very special occasion because the scripture says the lot fell to Zechariah to, to make that incense offering. This would be the highlight of his career, once in a lifetime opportunity. And so here is this priest of the Lord. Well, the scripture says of this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, that they were both righteous in the sight of God. And you may be questioning right now and say, well, I, I thought the Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. The Bible does say that. And since the Bible says it, we know it's true, right? Now, when the Bible says there's none righteous, that means in and of themselves, there's not one person who's right with God. The Bible says that we are sinners by nature, having been born to Adam and Eve, and being their descendant, sin's curse fell upon all of us. So we are inherently sinful. But Romans 3.23 says we're also sinners by choice. We have all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So don't take this to mean that Zechariah and Elizabeth were sinless simply means that God had imputed His righteousness to them. Now, how does God impute His righteousness to anyone? We saw a couple of Sundays ago on the basis of sola fide, faith alone in Christ alone. Well, you say, well, Christ hadn't come yet. He hadn't been born. Well, the Old Testament saints were justified the same way you and I are. The difference is they looked forward to the Christ, to the cross event. We look backwards in time as to what Jesus accomplished in our place. But we're all justified, made right by faith. When a person is truly made right by faith, naturally then their life is going to be different. And so there's an element of practical righteousness in the life of this couple. That is, they were upright, the scripture says, verse six, blamelessly completing all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That is, there wasn't any area of their life that was obviously outside of the will of God. So that's the priest and his wife. Secondly, then, we see their petition. Just because a person or a family is walking closely with the Lord doesn't mean their life is going to be easy or without heartbreak. Such is the case with Zachariah and Elizabeth. They had a great heartbreak in their life because they were unable to have children. Scripture says because Elizabeth was barren, she had some physical condition that did not allow her to conceive. And by this time, they're both old and past the time of childbearing. That seems to be an oft-repeated theme of the Bible, doesn't it? A couple who wants to have a children, have a child and is unable. I think of Abraham and Sarah, who received the covenant promise from the Lord that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that their descendants would be as the stars in the heaven and sand upon the seashore. And yet they began to get older and no child. 
And so what did they do? They decided to help the Lord out a little bit, right? And so Sarah gave her maid, handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham, and she conceived a son named Ishmael, but it was not the son of promise. Later they did believe, and God, of course, gave them Isaac, the fulfillment of the covenant promise. I think of Hannah of the Old Testament, who wanted desperately to have a child and was unable. And that stigma in that day associated with barrenness. And she went to the temple to pray, and that priest, Eli, saw her there, praying, pouring her heart out to the Lord quietly. Her lips were moving in prayer, but no sound coming out. And he assumed the worst of her, as people often do of us. And he assumed she was drunk, accused her of coming to the temple to worship in a drunken state. And she hastily said, no, I'm praying for a son. And if the Lord will give me a son, I'll give him back to the Lord. And of course, she was good to her word, wasn't she? She had a son named Samuel when he was five years old. She brought him back to Eli and he ministered there in the temple. I don't think any of us who have not experienced fertility problems can understand how much pain others who have experienced that go through and are going through. I love Father's Day and Mother's Day around here. It's always special Sunday. But I'm always a little hesitant about celebrating too much because I know on that day there are women in our church, and men for that matter, who dread it because they know that it's going to be a reminder that they were unable to have children. And so we need to be very sensitive and kind and compassionate indeed to those who are unable to have children. Because especially in those days of the stigma, in fact, people, not only Eli, but most people in those days thought the worst of someone, not only who couldn't have a child, but perhaps had some handicap or their child had some handicap. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? He was with his disciples one day and they came upon a man who had a physical affliction and was obvious to everyone. And the first question his disciples asked him was not, Lord, are you going to heal this man? They said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? Do you remember what Jesus said? So kind. He said, neither, but that the works of who? God would be manifest through him. It may be. Dear one, today, you're here today and you have some long-term illness or you have some um, burden in your heart, maybe a child. Remember that it may be that the Lord is using this to show forth His sovereignty and His goodness. And so be encouraged today. That was their petition. They've been praying, I, I suspect, for years and years. And the Lord had not answered that prayer. And so I'm sure there might have been weeks, perhaps months or years that they would go without praying and then they'd be reminded and they'd pray maybe one more time. And, and finally the Lord heard and He answered their prayer. Look at verse 8, this prophecy that comes. Now it happened that while He was performing His priestly service before God in the appointed order of His division, according to the custom of the priestly office, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. I think Luke has a sense of humor. He says, it happened that he was chosen that day to go inside. Well, he, it didn't just happen, right? This was a divine appointment. And so this once in a lifetime opportunity and he comes into the holy place to burn the incense. The whole multitude's outside praying and they know how long it's supposed to take. And so Zacharias, when he saw this angel was troubled and gripped with fear. By the way, that seems to be the correct response to the supernatural. Now, that's what happened 
to Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. It's what happened to the Apostle Paul when he saw the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. I am so fearful, and I want you to be of people, especially on TV, who are always saying they saw visions and signs and talk about Jesus as if he's their best buddy. This was a rare event. In fact, it had been hundreds of years in the intertestamental period that God had showed up visibly at all. And suddenly he does with the angel Gabriel's announcement. And Zacharias was right to be gripped with fear. And of course, what do the angels say when God's people are trembling? Fear not. Don't be afraid, for your petition has been heard. I'm here with good news, Zechariah. You will... Your wife will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. This word euangelion in the Greek, the same word we use for gospel, means good news. This angel of the Lord, Gabriel, one of only two angels, by the way, who are named in the Bible, the other being Michael. And just to point out how specific the Lord answers prayer, he even named the child. He said, you will name him John. Now, the name John means the Lord is gracious. I have a brother. My only brother is three years older, and his name is John. I will assure you, when I was growing up, I did not think of him that the Lord is gracious. <laughs> I thought his name meant makes me miserable. <laughs> Unfortunately, we only had one fight, but it lasted 21 years. <laughs> Zacharias was a righteous man. But here's what the Bible reveals about him. His faith was imperfect. How do I know? Well, here's the scene. Zacharias has his dream come true. He gets to go into the holy place and offer incense. He sees an angel of the Lord. The angel identifies himself, says, I've got a message from God for you. Your wife's going to have a son. His name will be John. And he all as much as said, I don't believe it. He said, how will I know this is true? I need more proof. And it seems to have made Gabriel mad. By the way, if you ever see an angel, don't make him mad. <laughs> Gabriel said, he's offended. He says, I'm Gabriel, the servant of the Lord. What more proof do you need? He says, and because you did not believe, you're going to be mute, unable to speak until this baby is born. Then he turned around and he went out of the room and the people were waiting. They'd been watching the clock. He'd been in there too long. They were afraid the Lord had struck him dead. They began to ask him, and they could tell by the paleness of his faith he'd, he'd had an experience. And he began to make signs. He didn't know sign language, I don't expect, but he was just trying his best to say, I saw an angel in there. And of course, then he went home. Look what he says in verse 24, 23, rather. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. Here, here's the fourth point, the pregnancy. We saw the prophecy, now the pregnancy. Now this was a miraculous birth, but not miraculous in the way that Jesus' birth was miraculous. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin girl, the scripture said, who had never known a man. Here's Elizabeth, he goes back home and uh, she gets pregnant. And she keeps it a secret, the Bible says, for five months. And you women who've had children know why. 
especially if you've prayed for it a long time. You don't want to make the announcement too early. And once you get into that second trimester and it's obvious to everyone that you're with child, then you make that announcement. And, and so she does. And she does what is proper to do in acknowledgement that this was from the Lord. She praises him. Look at verse 25. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days that he looked with favor upon me to take my, away my disgrace among men. Now that's a beautiful story, isn't it? It has all the elements that we like. It has good characters. It has a bad guy. It has good guys. And it has a happy ending. But Luke is not telling this story to give us a warm fuzzy. He is doing what all the biblical writers do. He is revealing the nature of God. And so what does this text tell us about God? First and foremost, need I remind you again, God is sovereign. He will accomplish His will. And it was His will foretold hundreds of years earlier to send a Savior into the world. But He prophesied that before the Savior came, Elijah would return. Do you remember? And listen to what the angel said about this John. He said, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, that is the Lord Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. This was the fulfillment of the Lord's prophecy. And what God says He's going to do, He will do. You and I often have the joy of being the means and the vehicle, the instruments through which His will is accomplished. He gets the glory. Who does He use? Well, the Lord is in the habit of using humble and faithful people, but not perfect people. Aren't you glad of that? Does it encourage you to know that God doesn't have to have perfect people? Zachariah and Elizabeth were godly people. They were not perfect. He didn't even believe Gabriel. He had to be rebuked for that. But the God exalts the humble, gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. The Bible is full of imperfect people that God used. I mentioned Abraham. Went down to Egypt. The Lord didn't tell him to go during time of drought and famine. Lot, his nephew, moved into Sodom and became one of them. I think of Jacob, that trickster who the nation is named after, and yet was a trickster and deceived his own brother Esau. I think of Peter in the New Testament, who Jesus says, upon this confession of yours, I'm going to build my church. It wasn't long after that he denied he even knew the Lord three times. Yet the Lord continued to use him. God uses humble, faithful, if imperfect people. That includes all of us. He's given us a task, the Great Commission. And we get to hear what He's doing in places like Indonesia and Mali and Euless, Texas. And don't ever take that for granted. It's just as miraculous when God saves a soul today as when He calls John the Baptist to be born physically in His mother's womb. One more word of encouragement. Trust the Lord's Word. Don't always have to have another sign. That's what's something that Jesus rebuked the people of his day for. He raised the dead, Lazarus. The people said, just one more sign, Lord. Then we'll believe. Jesus said, the only sign you're going to get from here in is the sign of Jonah. 
Three days he was in the belly of the fish. Trust his word and, and don't give up. Persevere. This couple prayed for a child for decades. There are people in this room, I know, who've been praying for your children to come to the Lord for decades. They've wandered, they've strayed, they've rebelled. They've turned away from everything you've taught them. Your heart is broken and has been for years. And you're tempted to quit trying and to quit praying. Don't quit praying. It may be that the Lord will use your perseverance to be the means to bring them to faith ultimately. And then finally, just this. What are your dreams and aspirations for your children? In an honest moment, I think most Americans would say, well, I, I want the American dream for my children. I want them to do better than me. I want them to live in a nicer house, drive a nicer car, go on better vacations, retire earlier. That is, is so unimportant that it's not even worth mentioning. Compared to the blessing that Zechariah received in this announcement from the Lord. Hear this when he says to John the Baptist, verse 16, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to their God. Verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. What if God's people at First Baptist Keller stopped praying for comfort and ease for their children and started praying that prayer? God, use my child to turn the hearts of America back to you. God, may my child grow up to be great in your sight. And if our children grow up to be great in the sight of God, what does it matter what anybody else thinks about them, right? And so we have the great privilege of having hundreds upon hundreds of preschoolers and children and youth in our church here every week. And we keep praying, Lord, send a revival. Send an awakening. Turn the hearts of the nation back to you. Might it be that God wants to use this generation of young people trained up in this church to go out all over the world to preach His gospel to lead to that revival? Are you willing to do as Hannah? To give your child to the Lord? Might it be the Lord wants your son to be a pastor, your daughter a missionary? Might it be that the Lord wants them to, to forego the accoutrements and the accomplishments of what the world counts as success so that they may fulfill their calling to Him, that they may be called great in the eyes of God. May the Lord do that and more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we are grateful for Zacharias and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and even Herod the Great, Lord, because we see your sovereignty even greater than a puppet king who was Satan's instrument to try to stop your redemptive plan in its infancy. But Lord, we are reminded through song today that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You're sovereign and your plan could not be thwarted and because they were usable, because they were prayerful and humble, not perfect. Zachariah and Elizabeth got to be a small part of what you did in the world. To be the parents of the one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Lord, we would pray that you would use our children. 
this generation that we have stewardship over right now to lead this nation of ours back to you. Father, we don't know how you'll do that or even if you'll do that, but we know you can do that. And so we ask, Father, if it would be your will, you'd use this generation to bring about revival. And when that happens, we'll be very careful to give you praise and honor and glory, even as Elizabeth did. And we'll pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.